Take a word of God, please. Turn to the book of John, chapter 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, chapter 1. Boy, I've enjoyed the testimonies, how sweet they are. And, and, and I mean, a lot of words have been said, like somebody's talking about deception. Uh, there's more deception today, David Fisher, in my opinion, than there's ever been. And that's one of the signs of the end time. If you look at Matthew, chapter 24, I believe it's verse 3 or 4, 11 and 24, that, that, that Jesus uses the word deceived. I mean, the warning is be not deceived. That's how he starts when he begins to give prophecy concerning his coming and of the end of the world. Be not deceived. Let no man deceive you. How many of y'all have heard about, um, about uh, what a lot of these uh, uh, faith movements Speakers are, are purporting. Y'all, you, know what, you know what they're telling? I'm talking about like Joyce Myers and, and, and a few others, those like uh, T.D. Jakes. You, you know what they're purporting? They're purporting little gods. They're calling God's children little gods. I mean to tell you folks, if you want to hear it, you can find it in this hour. I mean to tell you, well, you, you can find it in this hour. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to stick to this book. It's got me to this place. I got saved with the King James Bible. I've grown because of it. Hey, look, I've seen it change the lives of a multitude of people. I'm just going to stick with it all the way. I may get to heaven and the Lord say, you know what, you could have read any version you wanted. And I doubt that he's going to do that. But I said, I may. But you know what? I'm just going to say I was happy with the one that I started with and finished with too. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. We've been looking at the different dispensations. We've made our way down to the sixth dispensation, the dispensation of grace. We started way back in the garden with the dispensation of innocence, looked at conscience, looked at um, uh, human government, promise, law, and, and grace. And believe me, we've done no justice to any of them. We've just kind of got the cream of the crop. But remember the reason that I believe with all of my heart the Lord put me in this study was to emphasize the fact that in order to rightly divide the Word of God, we've got to be right about dispensations. Here at the church, and I don't know if you know some of these terms or not, but because your pastor is what I'm going to tell you, we are, you are too. Now, you may not embrace everything that I do, and I understand that. And that's okay. If you want to be right, you will. But otherwise, you still can choose to be wrong if you choose. But we are pre-tribulation millennialists. We believe without a doubt that there are dispensational truths in this book. We believe there's a difference in Israel and the church. We do not believe the church is spiritual Israel. We do not believe the church supplanted Israel. We believe God made promise to the nation of Israel. He's made promise to the church. And he's big enough to keep promises to both entities. I mean, and, and look, that's real important. People don't know how to rightly divide the Word of God, and the Word of God tells us how if we just simply submit to it. Chapter 1 of the book of John, verse 17. I'm going to read it, a great verse of Scripture, and uh, we'll just spend a few minutes dealing with this dispensation of grace. I don't know about you all, but I'm glad I live in this dispensation. Thank God. I, I'll tell you, I'm glad I live in the dispensation of grace. And there's a lot of people trying to make grace a disgrace, but we look at a couple of verses of scripture on this. But the same grace that saves us teaches us, and the same grace that saves us and teaches us, I'm glad to tell you tonight's going to keep us. 
He said in verse 17, if, you're, if, if you mark your Bibles, you don't have this marked, I encourage you to do it. It'd be better to commit it to memory. It's not that hard to memorize. He said, for the law was given by Moses. What's the next word? But grace, listen, I like that, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know that any of these dispensations are more important than the other, but there is a lot of significance put on the dispensation of law and of grace. Well, let me, let me tell you all something really, really simple. We are in the grace dispensation, and now that we are, look, the law has no effect on us. If everybody understands that, say amen. It was right in its place. It was good. I mean, if you remember, we, we saw the Word of God says, I believe it is in Romans 7, that it was holy, that God gave it. Uh, it had a glory to it, according to the book of First or Second Corinthians 3, I believe, maybe. It had a glory to it, but there is something that supersedes the glory of the law, and that is the glory of Christ who brought grace and truth to us in this age and in this dispensation that, that we live. Now this, this age of grace, turn over to chapter 19 of the same book of John, and we'll see kind of when it began. Now, I don't know, I have a hard time drawing a, a certain line in, the, in, in, in a place, so to speak, and to see when uh, grace began. I mean, when you look at it, when Christ came, it began, but it didn't, it didn't become the ruling factor. It didn't become the ruling dispensation until what I'm going to read to you out of, out of verse 30 in chapter 19 of the book of John. If you remember when I taught you about the dispensation of grace, it ran from Exodus 19 when the children of Israel had gotten to the foot of Mount Sinai. God called uh, Moses up to the, to the mountain and, and uh, sent him back down and said, look, see what the children of Israel is going to say. And they said, look, we'll do whatever God says. Well, if you remember, I told you that's when the saying, liar, liar, pants on fire, got started. That's what God said about Israel. They, they, they had good intentions, I believe, but they had no idea what they were saying. They came out of Egypt under grace. I believe they could have stayed under grace, but they chose, they chose the law. So it went from Exodus 19 to here in verse 30, of the book of John. Listen to what it says. One of my favorite verses. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, this is the day of his crucifixion, and I'm sure everyone knows that, he saith, it is finished. In the Greek is tetelestai. Uh, he said, and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. That, that is so beautiful. That verse is so amazing. If you don't have it marked in your Bible, I encourage you to mark it. He bowed his head. The picture is Look, when he gave up the ghost, he released his spirit. Remember, nobody took his life. He laid it down. I have power to lay it down, the power to take it up again. This, uh, this have I received to my father because I always do the things that please him. But, but when he died, when he gave up the ghost, his head didn't flop around like a chicken. Anybody still remember what a chicken looks like when you wring its neck? They're pitiful, but they're funny, you know. But Jesus laid his head on his chest like, he would, like we would lay our head on a pillow. That's the picture. And release the spirit. You say, what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say he wasn't a victim. Bless God, he was a victor. Thank God. Now that ought to, that ought to make somebody a little more happy than an all right. Hey, thank, he was always in control. 
always in control. It was for this hour, for this cause, that he came uh, to, to live and to die. And thank God, the good thing is he lives again. He lives forever. Here's even something to go along with. Y'all aren't getting happy I am. As long as he lives, we're going to live. Thank God. Amen. I kind of like that. That ought to be something to stir up an RGTI without a doubt. So we're living in this, in this dispensation of grace. And, and this grace began to function as a way of life after Jesus died. And, well, the Holy Spirit came. You all know that it did on, on, on the day of Pentecost. But today, grace is the ruling factor. Somebody tell us in this congregation, how is a person saved? By grace through faith, isn't it? So, what is grace? Somebody define grace. Unmerited what? Okay, what did somebody else say? It, it is, that's what it, that's what it ends up as being. We're forgiven. Undeserved favor, that's exactly right. God's riches at Christ's expense on, on, on an acrostic, if you want to put it that way. It is the gift. And that's where I was going. The word grace is a gift. What do you do for a gift? Do you earn a gift? You just do what to a gift? You receive a gift. Am I right? Now, let me, let me tell you how, how this word grace... See, I love this. I remember when I learned this. And, and certain things I can't remember that I wish I could. But certain things I'm glad I can't forget. The, the Greeks were amazing people in a lot of ways, and, and they were very intelligent. They prided themselves on it. I mean, the Greek language is an amazing language, and, and when the New Testament was written, it was written in Koine Greek. There were other Greek, you know, kind of dialects, maybe you could say a little more proper than what the street language Greek was. But when the Greeks coined the word charis, C-H-A-R-I-S, which, which is translated grace, the idea behind the creation of the Greek word is that Steve and I are friends. And just out of the goodness of my heart, I wanted to gift Steve something. I would caress him or grace him with a gift, with no expectation of a gift in return. It is something that is given from the heart of somebody. Now listen to this again and catch this. Who is my friend that I love. But guess what? God took that word charis and took it to a deeper and a higher level that man had never imagined. The word grace for God means that God, listen now, is willing to give a gift, not to somebody that is his friend, but to an enemy. Freely and fully unmerited at Christ's expense. Folks, if that don't make you happy, I don't know. And you say, well, preacher, I wasn't a bad person. You were a sinner. Can I tell you what else the Word of God tells us about us? We were at enmity with God. Now, God wasn't at enmity with us. God, oh, God hate, you know, God, God's angry with the wicked every day, the Word of God says. But when Adam and Eve, when Adam and Eve turned and ascend in the garden, they turned their back on God and walked away. That's why the Bible said, be ye reconciled to God. Somebody tell me what reconciled means. To restore, it means to be, really, it literally means to be turned back. To be turned back to God. God never turned His back on man. Everybody heard me say that, say amen. 
God always faces like, he, like He's always faced. Man went away from God. Man turned his back on God. There's a place in, in the book of Ezekiel. Lord, I, I, it's either Ezekiel or Jeremiah. I'm almost positive Ezekiel. It's where I believe that Ezekiel was told to dig a hole in the wall. And when he got on the inside of the temple, began to see all of the idolatry and what those supposed spiritual men were doing. Now, the east is that way, okay? I mean, I mean they, were, they were told to, when they prayed, they got in trouble to turn towards the east, turn towards the temple, turn towards Jerusalem and pray. You know what they were doing? They were turning towards the west and doing something like that. They had turned their back on God. But God's never turned away, and we've been reconciled. And when God sent His Son, He gifted us, not His friends, but His enemies, people that were at enmity against God. And I don't know about you all, but that, that breaks me. Gave us what we did not. That's what grace is. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. Grace is getting what we do not deserve. And how wonderful that is. Such a special thing. I hope if you all knew that, that was good to hear. If you didn't hear it, I hope, hope you enjoyed hearing it for the first time. Look, look with me, if you will, in Romans chapter 6 and look at verse 14. We'll look at a few things. We won't spend, I don't know, maybe next week on this. But I, but, but I, but I love studying about grace. I mean, it's almost an, an endless thing. Now, uh, if you remember some of the dispensations, if you... If you recall some of the things that I've said, and I know I've said a lot of things, they would overlap. Meaning when innocence was lost and the dispensation of conscience began, began, when they got to the end of the dispensation of conscience and, and human government kicked in, those ideas that came out by God and experienced by man came in to that next dispensation and several of them did but listen the law has an end what was the purpose of the law we've been here before we're going to look at some scriptures tonight in Galatians but what was the purpose of the law to, to prove that sin is sin to, to, to make us understand what Greg that we're sinners in need of a savior well it's okay I do that all the time thank you it was a schoolmaster the word actually is a pedagogue I don't know many Greek words. I don't know many English words. But anyway, every now and then I like to use them. It wasn't a schoolmaster in that we would think of a, cool, a schoolmaster. But in the, in, in the Roman world at that time, there were tons of slaves. I think, I think it was 120 million people, the best I remember, in, throughout the Roman Empire. And a half of them were slaves. The slaves of, of Roman families uh, were, were pedagogues. What they did was when a Roman family had, had children, that child was given to that pedagogue. I mean, it was, it was to change its diapers, it was to blow its nose, it was to give it a bath, it was to see it gets to school, it was to do everything until the day that, that it was declared uh, to be a full-grown son with all the rights and the privileges to be adopted. I mean, that's, that's really the Bible the Bible word, but that's what a pedagogue was. To bring them to a place is the idea behind the schoolmaster. And that's what the law was, to bring us to Christ, to make sure man understands that he's a sinner in need of a Savior. Was the law ever intended to save anybody? No. And people, people still today say, well, I'm getting you, how are you getting help? Well, I'm keeping the Ten Commandments. No, I don't think so. 
So listen to what Paul said. I mean, chapter 6 is a great chapter. The key word in this chapter, I think if you read it, you'll find it is yield. I believe, I believe chapter 6, 7, and 8 are a picture of Paul as a, a newborn Christian, chapter 6, a growing Christian in chapter 7, and a, an immature Christian in chapter 8. You, you, it, it's amazing. How many of you all thought when you got, you remember, everybody remember when you got saved, say amen. Did anybody ever have the false impression besides me that, man, this Christian life, I've got it made. It's a cakewalk. Anybody else? That was good for about three months, and then I realized that old man that I thought was dead was still kicking. Still is today, thank God. In in chapter 7... After he gets through chapter 6 and says, well, man, I got it made, he realizes the old man's still real because he closes the chapter with, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this flesh? That's where you find the tongue twister in chapter 7. When I would do good, I find that evil is always present with me. So there's no more I that do it, the sin that dwelleth in me. Y'all remember that? It's a great exercise of reading and trying to memorize, even a greater exercise. I've told you before, the idea that old wretched man that I am who should deliver me from the body of this flesh at one time, when somebody was guilty of a certain crime, you know what the punishment was? They would actually put a cadaver on their back and made it carried around. That's the word picture there. Paul saw his old man as a dead putrefying, corrupt body that he had to carry around. Isn't that, isn't that vivid? It, now, here's the real deal. We are to reckon our old man dead. We're to act like him. We are to mortify the flesh. But listen, he's still alive and well. And it's kind of like, like, like the Indian was asked. He was talking to a, a preacher, you know, about, about his about his problems. He said, look, he said, two men within me. He said, it's like two dogs, a black and a white dog. And the preacher said, well, said, which one's the strongest? He said, it depends on which one I feed. <laughs> That's pretty simple theology, you hear me? And how true, how true that. Look at verse 14. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm stammering or not. He said, uh, let me back it up and get verse 11. So it just kind of solidifies what I said. Likewise, reckon yourself to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto Christ through, the, uh, through Jesus Christ the Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lusts thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of righteous, unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourself unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of, instruments of righteousness unto God. Look at verse 4. Here's another one. If you don't have marked, I encourage you to mark it. For sin shall not have dominion over you. He said, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Isn't that amazing? Grace is liberating when you get down to it. Now hold on just a minute. It liberates us to serve. Everybody heard me say that. Say amen. Not to sin. Not to sin. That's pretty strong language, is it not, Mark? In fact, it's about as strong as you can get. You, it, we, we could paraphrase it if it would help it. I like God forbid, that's enough for me. But it is the same idea. Perish that thought. Don't, don't even think about that. 
That's foolish, you know. Hey, listen, listen. Grace, grace is so misunderstood. There were years, and I say this with shame in my life, that I did not understand the grace of God. But the Word of God, listen, listen. If we just let the Word of God speak, it'll teach us what we need to know and what God wants us to know. If we just let it speak, since, we're, since we like that verse so good, let's back up in, in chapter, chapter 5, just, just right next door in my Bible. Um, listen to what he said beginning in verse, in verse 20, and I'll read down through on into the beginning of chapter 6. He said, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. That's what Greg was saying and what I was saying. That's what sin was brought in for, to make sin to appear exceedingly sinful. But when sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Does that make anybody happy besides me? Isn't that wonderful? God's had this planned out all along. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto life, eternal life of Jesus Christ. I'm down into chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? What does Paul say? Isn't that amazing? Now the idea was, and Paul was writing this letter to Rome, having never yet been there. He was going, that's where he died, I understand, according to history. But if you look at the letter to Rome, the epistle, Paul was anticipating their questions. So he would ask a question and then answer it. He was anticipating as if he were there in communication with them. Isn't the Spirit of God so wise? What shall we continue in sin that grace... They were thinking, well, look, if grace is this great big thing, I mean, if it's greater than than sin, why? Let's just make it greater and greater by sinning more and more. And Paul said, God forbid. We cannot, Joe said, and I'm going to say amen to it, out-sin God's grace. But let me add something to that. You can outsend your day of grace. I mean, God's grace is greater than all of our sin. We sing that in the song. And it is true. I like, I believe it's, I want to say 56 in this red hymnal. There's grace for me, grace for you, keeping free, keeping true, saving grace from God above. Hey, listen, friend. Grace is sufficient. And 1 Peter 5 and 10, if you're wondering how much grace God's got, He's got enough for us. He's the God of all grace. There's grace to be saved by. There's grace to die by. Grace to live by. Grace to be saved by. Grace to work by. Whatever we need, He's provided. And He's provided it all as a gift. What did your salvation cost you? That's exactly right. You just responded to the to the, to the call of God on your life. Got under conviction, if you're saved. Repented of your sin, and by faith received Christ. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of work. I said, uh, how many times have I quoted that? And I cannot get it tonight. Isn't that terrible? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest... Any man should both. Boy, if we get to heaven on our works, wouldn't it be a mess? God, help us. What a mess it would be. And hey, God knows what he's doing. Wendell, amen. Thank God for Christian. All right, now I was going someplace, but let's turn to the book of Titus, chapter 2, really quick. 
really quick. Now, I'm going to quote the verse I was going to give to you now, and we'll get back to it maybe next week, the good Lord willing. Paul said to, to the church of Galatia, he said, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Now, listen to what Paul wrote to the young preacher by the name of Titus while he was at Crete. Crete wasn't the best place to, to be, by the way. You've heard me preach this passage. Verse 11, 12, and 13 gives the past, the present, and the future work of grace. The past work is in verse 11, where the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all mankind. You remember, you remember Paul said when he's talking about the crucifixion, this work of Christ, this, this thing wasn't done in a corner. Y'all remember the reference to that in Galatians? God, God put it out where everybody could see it. It wasn't done in secret. But the work of grace that started in the past, it started in Christ who died as a sinner substitute. But look what he goes on in verse 12. He said, teaching us. Who's the us? The believer. You and I. Teaching us. Now watch this and see who's right, Mike. And I know you know. And I know Krista knows. I'm just teaching us the denying... What does it mean to deny? Does that mean to embrace it, go ahead and sin and live in it? What it means to, 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 to say no to it, to take a stand, denying ungodliness and worldly lust. Listen now, it didn't stop there. We should live soberly, righteously, godly. Where? In this present world. Now, next week, by the grace of God, keep this in mind. We've got to quit. Time's up. I don't want to. We've got to. We've got a restraint of a clock. Um, which I, I understand that. Look, the kids downstairs, the teachers have them for an hour, and we just we try to, to be real sensitive and remember that. And we're appreciative of what they do. So, so that's why we do what we do here on Wednesday night, how we do it. But next week, the Lord will, if you want to look ahead, look at Matthew chapter 13, and uh, look at look at two of the par- two of those two of those parables or the the mystery parables. One, the parable of the mystery of the of the of the wheat and the tares and the good fish and the bad fish. Okay, God God knew what's going to happen. He, I mean, deception is real. We're 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 neck deep in it, but we got this book. All we got to do is read it and study it.